The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Slareth along with Mike Evans, producer Scott the Huff on the board. And got to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Core Water. Core pH balanced water, absolutely delicious. Uh, as we always tell you, got the big wide mouth bottle, the big uh, guzzle hole there for you to uh, really hydrate yourself with uh, that uh, 7.4 pH balanced water with full of electrolytes and everything else that makes it taste delicious. And not only that, just hydrates your body super quickly. It's absolutely delicious. And it's the only water that I take to the gym with me. So when you see a huge guy that's totally yoked and uh, incredibly handsome drinking cool water, it's probably me. So that's Core Water. Check them out. Core Water at 7-Eleven, the one with the big blue cap. Core pH balanced water. Learn more at hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, my friend? You know, Mark, the humility that you show every week never ceases to amaze me. Uh, if, if there's, I'm nothing if not completely humble when it comes to uh, my yokitude. You know who showed real humility? Real humility. Was Drew Brees after he... Set that record. How cool that guy, was that scene? You know did, did it get a little dusty in your living room? It got a little just dusty in mine. It just kind of hurt me to my core right there. Kind of you, you just. I don't know. It kind of made me look douchey there by <laughs> talking about my hey, humility and then you, throwing the Drew Brees real humility. You, at you me. said it, not me. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm convicted though. You got me. You got me on this one, Mike Evans. Damn you! Damn you! Yeah, I did get a little dusty in my living room. It was it was a great moment for me. Um, you know, I've known Drew, not well, but I've known Drew for years. Um I was over at Saints Camp. I've I I've, I've become, you know, I've I've had a friendship with Sean Payton for quite some time. And so I was out in New Orleans watching my son play baseball and I was like, "Oh, they're in training camp." So I called Sean and he's like oh come over come over so it was really cool to to go over to the Saints and I mean they're out stretching and doing practice and Sean is like no 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 he comes out of the out of practice to roll me through their new facility I mean he's showing me their weight room and showing me their new like all their training facilities he's like I, I always like to have something redone every year when the players come back just so like hey we love our players and we want to take care of our players and we want to make this facility great for you guys. And so he's just real proud of the facility and it just is, it's awesome. And it's none of the upstairs stuff. It's not the coaches offices. It's all about the players. Like the coaches offices are still the ratty offices. They were 10, 15 years ago. Right? Like Sean Payton, like there's a lot of coaches offices that are owed to the coaches. Sean Payton's office is, is nothing compared to a lot of the offices and a lot of the facilities that, that teams have built. But their players' facilities are phenomenal. And you know, it just goes to show you who he is as a coach. But you know, he's taking me through there. And anyhow, my my wife and my son come over. And, you know, Daniel's 32 now. But 
you know, when Drew Brees came in the league, you know, he's still a kid, you know, he's still in high school and, you know, and, and so anyhow, um, Drew just come, he drops what he's doing and comes over. Um, and we end up talking for a while and he's talking to Daniel and they both use Tom house. So they're talking about Tom house stuff and all the shoulder routines and everything else. And so gracious to my wife, Lisa, and, and just, you know, out of his day at the end of practice, you're hot, it's humid, it's New Orleans. He took 10 minutes just to spend that time with us, um, which I, I thoroughly appreciate about him as a human being. And he does that. He is New Orleans. He is the community. And to watch him break that record, to watch the joy the other guys had in celebrating his record, that's that tells you something about him. Like, Anytime you can find somebody to celebrate somebody else's record like it's their own, I watched offensive linemen celebrate that like they just set the passing record. I watched the other players celebrate him, and then I watched him celebrate his family. On the field with his kids, hugging on his sons, he said something that like touched my heart when he said, you can accomplish anything to his sons. You can accomplish anything if you put if you're willing to put in the work. You know, like what is you know what's special about this moment? Like to have the wherewithal at that point to not make it about you, but to to you know to have a teaching moment with your kids. Like, are you kidding me? It's, it's character, but it's that work ethic as well. Our buddy Joel Klatt, who's the lead college football analyst on on Fox Sports. Mm-hmm. We were talking with him, and he recounted the story about when you know he was just he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. He was right. with the Saints for a couple of weeks, and it was right after Drew Brees had mangled his shoulder. Right. You know what? Let's just play it. Let's just play it. Joel Klatt, you know, joined us on our radio show. Here's what he said about Drew Brees. Oh man, the uncommon work ethic. And Mike, I I don't want to exaggerate it because it was just a few weeks, but it was an incredible few weeks. I earned a contract as an undrafted rookie uh, in rookie minicamp. It was the first, you know, me and Reggie Bush. I'm sitting there with him, Marcus Colston, and and Drew had just um, blown a shoulder out the previous December, a game against uh, Denver, and Miami didn't sign him, and so New Orleans signed him. It's right after Katrina. The Saints are trying to make a comeback. Sean Payton was. Uh, a brand new head coach for the New Orleans Saints, and I was down there, and Drew was fresh off of surgery, so he had one of those giant slings that you know how they have the like that that pillow between their body and the arm. It's like the lock it in sling. It's not just the the you know the little sling. It's the big one. And he had had that shoulder reconstruction, and I walked in and I I tried to pride myself on the fact that I was going to be prepared from the schematics of the game and get in there and learn the offense for the uh, mini camps and the OTAs. So I would get in there as early as I could to watch film, be in the playbook, take notes, so on and so forth. So I walked in, I think it was like 5.50 or 5.55. We had a 7 a.m. meeting, and I was going to get in there early and do about an hour worth of work. I thought I would be one of the first, if not the first guy in the building. I mean, it's a summertime. It's an OTA. And I walk in, and I walk past the, the weight room, and it looked like a coach on the treadmill. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, no, that's Drew. And so I kind of, like, peek back over, and I walk in, and Drew has his sling on, and he's on the treadmill. And I think it was about two or two and a half or three miles per hour, and he was just doing dropbacks on the treadmill. And I looked, and it, it was at two and a half miles. I was like, what? 
This guy's sweating profusely in his sling, doing dropbacks on the treadmill, fresh off of surgery. And I thought to myself, dude, this guy has an uncommon work ethic, and I think it has sustained him throughout the years. I couldn't be more you know, pleased for a guy and happy for a guy because he was an incredible person. He took me under his wing for those first, you know, what, two, three weeks that I was there. It was a great experience, and I'm so happy for him. I mean, think about that, Mark. I mean, think about putting in that kind of work and attention to detail in the aftermath of the kind of surgery that maybe a lot of people would be like, yeah, I got to rest and, you know, I'll, I'll get into the rehab. I'll get I'll get over the facility around 10 o'clock in mm-hmm. the morning and I'll put in the work. But there, there's a reason why Drew Brees is an all-time great. And I, I think it's it was on display Monday night. Mm-hmm. And it's those kind of stories from Joel that give us a – a window into what makes this guy what he is. Yeah, he's amazing. And, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because here's a guy that didn't have the requisite arm strength, that didn't have whatever, just ripping the ball, just absolutely ripping it because he's put in the work. You know, he's done the work to keep himself at that point and um, to, to gain arm strength through body mechanics and everything else that he does um, – He's just a phenomenal human being, a phenomenal leader, and just a great, great football okay, player. Okay, so he's going to have the records. He's going to have the passing mm-hmm. yards record. He's going to have the touchdown record. And yet, why is it that whenever we have conversations about the greatest quarterbacks of all time, he doesn't seem to get mentioned? Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, um, I think, you know, he's obviously in the top two or three, um, four of his generation. You know, I mean, he just comes in this in this moment when I look at Peyton Manning kind of changed the game. He came in in 98. Drew Brees came in in 2000. But Peyton Manning was the guy that kind of took control of the quarterback position back and put it in the hands of the quarterback. You know, I mean, there was a day back in Johnny Unitas's day where the, the quarterbacks called all their plays. And then the coaches is became the coaches became the geniuses, right? And they took control of that, and they called the plays for the quarterbacks, and they were just asked to execute. Um, and you know, save a, a a check with me, where you got, you know, here if they give us this defense, we're going to run this. If they give us this, we're going to run this. That that's basically how everybody was doing it. And then all of a sudden, Peyton Manning said, "No, no, no, no. I want to be able to check to whatever I want to check to, if the situation presents itself." And so he kind of took control of the offense again. And so Peyton Manning kind of gets credit for for that change of philosophical approach where the quarterback is given complete autonomy at the line of scrimmage um, when he deems it necessary. And so he has that. Brady has all the touchdowns to multiple different receivers, although Brady has more guys went to the Pro Bowl over the course of his career at the receiver position than Drew Brees has going to the Pro Bowl as receivers from New Orleans. But I think the difference is, you know, that that offense was considered a high-flying, wide-open, push-it-down-the-football-field offense. Here's the other thing about Drew Brees. Like, this is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, and yet it's not a... Alex Smith, check down, throw it outside the numbers, drag slant. It's push the ball down the seams, offense. Like, they take their shots. They're going to take – Sean Payton's going to take his shots every single game. They're going to push the ball down the field. And to maintain your accuracy, 
the way Drew Brees has maintained his accuracy over the course of a 18-year career, phenomenal stuff, man. You know, he's been doing it for a long time, but do you think maybe subconsciously it's held against him that, you know, he exists in a time in which we're seeing crazy numbers from quarterbacks. You know, four quarterbacks mm-hmm. right now are on pace to break Peyton Manning's single-season passing yardage record. You know, guys like Jared Goff mm-hmm. and Derek Carr. And I wonder if maybe Drew Brees is unfairly lumped right. into that category of, well, he's a a stat builder, a stat right. accumulator I, in a time right. in which it's so easy for quarterbacks to throw the football. No, there's no question that it's much easier for quarterbacks to throw the football. I mean... There was a day where certain defenses, you just didn't throw certain footballs. Like you, It was the quarterback's responsibility to protect the receiver. That, those days don't exist anymore. But when Drew Brees came in the league, it was that way. So, you know, you think about this. This is 18 years. The first 10 years, the rules weren't bent. I mean, they were bent differently than they were bent in the 70s. But they weren't to the extreme they are now. It's just been really the last four or five years or eight years where it continues to get easier and easier and easier to play the quarterback position, if you will, based on, hey, there's no throw that's not accessible to a quarterback. Like, you make every one of them. Um, so that part is is certainly different. But he came in in 2000, and the rules weren't as bent then, obviously, as they are now. So I, I don't, you know, I, I just think he comes in a day and age where we've seen the exceptional like artistry and unpredictability and off schedule throws of an Aaron Rodgers. We've seen the the gigantic brain of Peyton Manning. We've seen the incredibly handsome good oh, looks geez. dimpled chin of Tom Brady. Focus. Man. Focus. Focus please. That chin, please no, focus. Seriously. Seriously. Couldn't you imagine miniaturizing yourself and just using that chin divot like a hammock just getting in there get a blankie get a blankie snuggle up nappy time tommy you know i'm watching the celebration for breeze and the the obvious connection and chemistry and affection he has for and with sean payton something tells me that the um the conversation between Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett uh, was was not as warm and fuzzy. Right after uh, Jason Garrett's decision to go to not go for it on fourth down, we, yeah. now we had this discussion just last week here on the podcast about Frank Reich right against Houston, mm-hmm. but that was with the ball in his own territory. Now this was a case of the ball was in Houston side around the forty-one fourth and short. He elected to punt it. Now, to the Texans' credit, they took over around their 10. Incredible individual play by DeAndre Hopkins, but they did kick the game-winning field goal, opening up all kinds of uh, second-guessing from Jerry Jones. And now making, according to Vegas oddsmakers, Jason Garrett the most likely coach to be fired first. You know, the interesting thing here is um, over the course of, I think think it's Dak's, since Dak has been the starting quarterback, they've gone for it 19 times on fourth down and one, and they've converted 18 of them. And then Jason Garrett's go, yeah, but that one. That one was really, that was bad. Like, that, you're playing in overtime, let me, you're playing in overtime for, for what? Not, to not lose? 
Is that what you're playing for? Is we're trying not to lose? Correct. Are you playing for a tie? Yes. Are you thinking that hey, we punt it down there, we get a three and out, and we get the ball back? And I mean, I, I don't. Fourth and one, ninety-four percent conversion rate for the Cowboys since Dak Prescott took over. Um, like I'm a believer in putting it on my players and saying, "Hey, it's on you, boys." Do you know who's tied for number one with the Broncos as far as yards before first contact in the running game? You know who it is? Dallas Cowboys. That's the Dallas Cowboys. They're averaging 3.6 yards per carry before first contact. Tied with the Broncos, number one team in the league. Now, I think we'll punt from the 41. Like You want to talk about, I mean, playing not to lose a game? I mean, that's just, that's just like buttery soft. Butter that's been left on the counter in midsummer with the air conditioning off. That's how soft that is. So, I rightfully so. I understand. You know, I understand that. But was it smart though? There was still an outside. To your point, you pin him down at the ten. It, it at that point was what a 16-16 game. So it's not like the offenses were mm-hmm. dominating. You had to feel no. decent about your chances of stopping them, getting the ball back, right. and being able to go down and win. The football game, and plus, there's also the idea that you know is a tie necessarily the worst thing in that division, which looks like nobody's going to separate themselves. And if you're talking about at the end of the day, maybe a tie doesn't hurt you. Maybe a tie helps you in a tie break. There's a lot of things that you're thinking. Of. I don't know that Jason Garrett's really thinking about all that stuff at that you particular don't think point. So? I, you think he's just strictly thinking, "I don't want to lose." Yeah, I think he's scared. I, I don't know. I mean. Well, if that's the case, Mark, then the the guy shouldn't be your head coach. I mean, I'm all for making moves based on, hey, these, these are what the analytics say. Right. This I, is this is smart here, football here, versus scared football. You know, based on the 16-16 score, and and I broke this game down the other day. I was watching it. Here's the here's the difference. 16-16, and I get it. You haven't put up a lot of offensive numbers. You know what the Houston Texans were doing? They were making off-schedule plays because their quarterback looks like he's getting it back together. Like that dude was making people miss in the backfield, finding outlet receivers, dumping it off to those guys. Like he was, he was like he was at the end of that national championship game when they got throttled in the first quarter against Alabama, and then he just fought his ass off to to bring them back. That's how Deshaun Watson looks right now to me, and. Based on the way he was moving around, it's like, all right, I'll give you, for instance, the Rams, Sean McVay. Sean McVay had a minute and 28 seconds left. The Seattle had no timeouts, fourth and fourth and one on their side of the football, on the 45 or whatever it was, 42. And they lined up and punt. Seattle took their last timeout. They came back out. The players were encouraging. Let's go. Let's end this thing. All right, I'll put it on you guys. I have faith in you. I'm not afraid to lose. I'm not afraid of failure. We're going to go out here and we're going to win this thing on our own. Like, I'm not afraid of that. And all his players rallied around. They ran a quarterback sneak and shoved it up their throat. But part of the part of the issue was Sean McVay said, you know, we're struggling in the backfield right, defensive backfield right now. Marcus Peters is bitten on every double move that we have. I mean, that's that's been an issue. Russell Wilson has a history of fourth-quarter comebacks. A minute and 28 seconds left on the clock is too much time even without a timeout. He's scrambling around. Why would I let him beat me? Let's just go out and win this damn football game. Bam, put it on my players. Go, guys. I mean, 
I I love I love that. I love that aspect of that. And that's exactly what they did. Good for Sean McVay, good for the Rams. And and that's a decision and a long line of decisions and a long line of mediocrity with the Cowboys that's probably going to get a, a coaching change to be made. So you think that's a fireable offense? I think on top of everything else I, I that think we've ev- seen. I think everything else. But you brought up uh, an incredible point about the Cowboys and and Des Bryant that I think you brought this up to me off air, and I thought you know what. I didn't even think about that, but you're 100% right. So go ahead and share this with uh, the Stinkin' Truth listeners. About what Jerry Jones said about yeah. number one receivers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, we haven't had a number one receiver here for several years, which was clearly a shot at, at Des Bryant. Right. And yet I sat back and said, um, who's the general manager <laughs> of the Dallas Cowboys who's responsible for finding a number one wide receiver. Right, yeah. That's Jerry. You know, sometimes I think everybody out there needs to be reminded. Jerry Jones is the general manager Mm -hmm. of the Dallas Cowboys. That statement was like John Gruden saying, pass rushers are hard to find, right? Exactly. Right? Man, they are really hard to find those guys. We don't have a number one receiver. We haven't had a number one receiver for years. Just years we haven't had one. Yeah. You're in charge. You're... Wait. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, but, yeah. We got Cole Beasley. <laughs> exactly. Cole Beasley. Cole. Reminds me of what I get my Christmas stocking. Cole. I love that kid. Beasley. Remember Beasley Reese? He was a good player, man. Love Beasley Reese was great. Remember that guy? Like the name too. Beasley Cole Reese. Beasley. That's somebody that works in one of my oil fields. Yeah. Cole Beasley. Right. Just Cole. These are the Coles I know. These are the Coles. The Coles I know. I know. These are the Coles I know. Cole Beasley, he works on my construction field. Da, 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 da. Anyhow, yeah, I mean he's the he's the yeah, GM he's guy. Yeah, do something about it. <laughs> right. Don't complain about it. No, no, <laughs> you know, go get yourself a number one. <laughs> there you go. There so, you go. Anyhow, just interesting. Just an interesting observation. That's all. I enjoy well, we'll that. see what happens. But uh, he is now. Surged to the uh, top of the list among most coaches likely to be fired ahead of, just ahead of Dirk Cutter uh, mm-hmm. with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah. And then tied is Bill O'Brien, who just got a new contract and has been to the playoffs a number of times, and Vance Joseph here in Denver. Yeah. Been to the playoffs with guys named Ryan Mallett and TJ Yates and uh, Ryan Fitzmagic and uh, Brian Hoyer, right? I, yeah, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Especially right. since Deshaun Watson has been not himself. Injured. But, you know, you start to see him You're showing start- that old form. Yeah. Now let's now let's start to evaluate Bill O'Brien, right? Yeah, the Bill O'Brien one is just interesting to me. I don't I don't necessarily see that one, but uh whatever. I mean that's the way it goes. All right. So is that's that fun. Good is, stuff. Is that a wrap? That's a wrap. All right. Well we may uh we'll, we, that's easy for me to say. We will be back later in the week uh, for everybody involved with the Stink of Truth. Co- uh, boy. Oh, man. I, you're, you know, you see the finish line and you just like spit the bit. Start to lose, That's right. lose energy. I know. All <laughs> right. I'll start that again. Softer hey. than whale poop. Yeah. Yeah. You ready? All right. For everybody involved in the Stink of Truth podcast, we'd like to thank you for listening. Make sure you share it with your friends. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor. It's great folks over at Coor Water. Make sure you check out Core Water, available at 7-Eleven, the big blue cap. Check that out. For Scott, for Mike, I'm Mark, and we'll talk to you later on in the week.